There exists a threat from anti-hunting groups to politicians trying to give our land away, and we won't stand for it. Those vast western landscapes provide the space for our wildlife to thrive and a place for hunters and anglers to fuel the fire that sparks their soul. In this show, we share our love of hunting, fishing, and conservation. Here, we provide the foundation to meet these threats through passion and the grit of the American outdoorsman. Welcome to the Western Huntsman Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to this episode of the Western Huntsman Podcast. This is Jim Huntsman, your host, coming at you from the Broken Town Studio right here in Clark Fork, Idaho. I got a I got a hell of a show for you guys uh, this week. I'm really excited about this one. Uh, if you guys remember a while back, we had uh, Mike Edgehouse on uh, Talking Meat, and uh, this kind of led me to a lot more questions down this path. And on this episode, I've got a Dr. Phil Bass, University of Idaho, who is a bona fide meat scientist. And uh, one of the things I like when when we're emailing back and back and forth is uh, at the bottom of your email signature, it says, go beef. <laughs> and so <laughs> I appreciate you coming on the show. How are you doing? I'm, I'm excited to be here. Um, yes, I am a meat enthusiast and uh, beef is my medium in which I work predominantly. But uh, yeah. Fantastic, book, man. Yep. So, so before, before I want to get into your background and, and uh, we talk about your podcast a little bit, but sure. um, do you prefer Dr. Bass, Dr. Phil or well, Phil or what, what do, how, how should I address you? Master and commander would be fine. Master. But, uh, yeah, I, I like yeah. your style. <laughs> Phil is just, Phil is just fine. Yep. Okay. <laughs> okay. So, uh, why don't you kick us off with a little bit of background on you and tell us what you do and, and, uh, then tell us about your podcast too, man. Yeah. So, um, uh, the, uh, the short, uh, of it right now is that I've been with the university of Idaho for five years. Um, prior to that, I was uh, in industry. I was with the certified Angus beef brand out in Ohio for eight and a half years, um, eight and a half glorious years. In fact, it was fantastic, but it was time to move back West. Um, my wife and I are both, uh, Westerners, um, and, uh, uh, grew up, uh, I grew up in a, in a very Italian family. Um, my last name is not Italian by any stretch, but, yeah. uh, I grew up in a very Italian family and, um, we harvested our own animals, cut our own meat, made our own sausages, salamis and everything. And so, it's been in my DNA to um, be a meathead, so to say, and so love it. Yeah, I, I'm always curious, like with, with something like meat science, what were you in high school and you thought, you know what, uh, my goal, my, my dream is I'm going to go pursue a, a degree in meat and, <laughs> and become this professor of meat and, right. and a scientist. Well, How does that and- come about? That yeah, and I'm glad you asked that. I have a feeling if any of the our our other fellow uh, meatheads out there um, hear this, they'll probably have a similar um, uh, story to tell. But uh, I didn't know meat science was a thing 
until I got to the university setting. Um, I just was excited to go cut meat at the meat lab, the USDA inspected meat lab on campus at Cal Poly in San Luis Obispo, California. Um, Learned the trade um, from an an excellent meat cutter, Dr. Rudy Wooten, and um, it it just blossomed from there. Um, Dr. Bob Delmore is who I did my master's degree under. Again, um, an industry professional, moved back into the academic world. And um, and uh, it's a it's a trait. Uh, you know, I, I I've I've always had a, an absolute passion for cutting meat and making sausages and things like that. Um, and found out that it is a career opportunity. Um, I I originally wanted to be a high school ag teacher, um, but I quickly oh, yeah. found mm. yeah yeah. But I I quickly found out that I, there's no way I could uh, teach uh, high school. Um, uh, but I did love the teaching component. And to do that, you had to get a PhD and I continued on meat science and here I am at the university level. What, uh, what'd you do your PhD on? Was it, uh, it it was beef quality, beef quality and fabrication. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Um, You know, I am, I'm, we have some very, very intelligent folks in the meat sciences. Um, I am not one of them. I am just a Mm -hmm. kill it and weigh it kind of meat scientist. Um, if I, uh, if I write up a, a research project, it's because I have selfish reasons that I want to go pick up a knife and, and do a little meat cutting. And so um, <laughs> I, uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm very, uh, I, I would say I'm a very applied meat scientist in that regard, but um, studied under some very, very intelligent folks nonetheless. Well, obviously you're pretty passionate about it because um, you, you do what you do for a living mm-hmm. down in Moscow, Idaho, which is a beautiful area. Yep. Um, and the, other side of it is you do a podcast and it's called uh, meat meat pod or wait no 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 i said it wrong (laughs) it's a funny one meats pad meats pad meats pad yeah yeah i'm i'm so fortunate to have um i was interviewed um by francisco nahar and who is now dr francisco nahar um and francisco uh when he was wrapping up his PhD at Kansas State University, he started this podcast in 2020. Um, you know, it was a time that everyone was looking for information and had all kinds of time on their hands. And right. so yeah. um, he he looked at it as uh, to focus on our small to medium sized meat processors, uh, folks that process game quite re- readily, um, uh, but uh, just trying to get the science information out there. And so we take sometimes some rather complicated subjects and boil it down to Reader's Digest format of meat science topics. And it's it, it varies from everything from, um, you know, humane studying of pigs to food safety to um, color quality and, and tenderness and everything in between. Um, and so um, it's, a, it's a lot of fun. If folks have any interest, um, just look up Meats Pad. It's kind of a funny um, little uh, name for it, but think of Notepad, but meat. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's it's full of it. it I, I can't believe the amount of information. And it's funny. I when I reached out to you, I didn't know that you were one of the hosts on that show because yeah. I, yeah. I told you I've listened to that. And because yeah. uh, I, I geek out on this stuff. And so yeah. um, I'm far from a scientist, but uh, it's it's really good for what I do as a hunter uh-huh. to understand this side of it. And because the the meat is that's the end game. That's the goal. And that's, that's, that's how, yeah. Yeah. And, and, uh, there's so, and I want to kind of set the conversation up along those lines, you know, there, there's a couple of different ways or a couple of different types of hunters. Some hunters, they, they, they go out and it's, it's kind of a pastime for them and, and maybe they get a deer or an elk or something like that every, every few years and whatnot. And then you have, um, guys or, or gals that take it to a little bit more of an extreme level like me, where, 
our goal is to not, with the exception of if we want a really good ribeye, we want to go to the grocery store and grab one, right? Or, or go out to dinner. But 95% of the meat we eat here at, at home is wild game. Yeah. And, and so um, I, that's why I think um, it was, it, it's of interest to me to talk to you. And, and I think I could learn a lot from you. And I know if I'm learning a lot from you, I, I, I know there's going to be a lot of listeners that are going to learn a lot from you. Um, and so this is going to be cool, man. I appreciate it. Can yeah, you, can you, can you give, uh, can you give me like a, um, a bird's eye view of how you feel a discussion with, with a meat scientist and somebody who kind of specializes in beef with, with all the years of experience and, and schooling you've had on it, what your philosophy in terms of how that would apply to wild game, mm -hmm. um, does that make sense how I'm asking that? And I'm all tangled yeah. up in my mic cord here. But there we go. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. So beef, beef does apply very closely to, um, to many of our wild game um, uh, quadrupeds. Um, in fact, their digestive systems are going to be practically identical in the case of deer and elk um, and, and antelope and things like that. Those are ruminant types, type animals. Um, so they're going to generate similar types of fat. Um, granted the flavors will be different. Um, and where that, how that fat's distributed is just, you know, we, we have, we have, uh, nature that is taking care of things nearly 100% and managing the genetics in, in the, in the game side of things. Whereas beef, um, we've been, we've been raising these animals domestically for thousands of years. And so we really have narrow, narrowed down into, um, what it is that we desire as, as consumers, as, as people eating meat. Mm -hmm. Um, and so the fat depositions are going to be a little bit different, but really when it comes down to how the muscle itself is operating, it's going to be very, very similar. Um, beef cattle have a tendency to, um, you know, we, we put them out on range. That's what we do. Um, a lot of, a lot, there's a lot of misinformation out there is, well, we just lock them up and we feed them grain from day one. Well, it, no, that's that's too expensive. First off, you want to just go with practical sense. Yeah, um, beef are amazing creatures that we can put out on rangeland, um, and in fact, in, in a lot of public lands, um, uh, similar to where hunters are are out there harvesting deer and elk and such, um, because those animals eat similar things. They can eat the the grass and the shrubbery and 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 the uh, low lying trees and leaves and things like that. But they can grow on that, and that's pretty cool. What they do with that nutrients at a younger age is they're building muscle and they're building bone. And that muscle is going to be very similar to our game in the respect that it's a red color. It's a dark red color to it. Mm -hmm. And the contrast would be say uh, pork and poultry at a grocery store. It's going to be a very light pink color. What that means is it's, it's a different muscle fiber type. And I'm not going to get into all the muscle fiber types. And in fact, if you check out our podcast uh, with Dr. Dr. Amanda McKeith, um, we talk about, <laughs> yes fiber types they get really yes. nerded out on that super stuff, but, interesting yeah. one too yeah yeah uh, but um but back to back to the whole idea of kind of crossover between uh beef and and lamb um and goat and then our game species is um you know we do have to recognize the fact that that darker meat is going to have a little bit more robust flavor to it and it's going to age different than the lighter color species our domesticated pork and poultry um, we can put some additional age on those animals that we harvest. And when I say age, it's post-mortem. After you harvest the animal, you let it hang in refrigerated environments. And that's going to enhance tenderness. And I think a lot of the, a lot of experienced hunters are familiar with this. But I, th I think so. Uh, yeah. I think one question that automatically pops into my mind when you say that yeah. is um, temperature. 
when you say yeah. refrigerated, let's say we're hunting in mid October and we're hitting 65 during the day, but dropping down to 38 at night. Yeah. Is, is that, is that bad? Is that good? Is it irrelevant? Uh, can you, can you speak to that for a minute? Oh man. Well, we only have an hour, right? No, I know. <laughs> right? I know. <laughs> so no, that's a, that's a really great question. Temperature means a lot when it comes to aging product. Um, for food safety and quality reasons, I always, always will recommend get that thing in refrigeration or get it under 40 degrees as quickly as you can, realistically speaking, knowing that you may be out in the backcountry and it's going to take a while before you're there. Mm -hmm. um, but getting that heat out of the carcass is critical for um, to prevent spoilage and for food safety concerns. OK, so get all the microbiology stuff out of the way okay. down to what's happening at the muscle level. The warmer that muscle is, the uh, the faster the enzymes are going to operate. And the enzymes are the natural enzymes that's in the muscle. It's They're in you and I right now, mm -hmm. constantly turning over protein. But when we harvest the animal, um, now, now we can't rebuild the protein anymore. But those enzymes are still active. And they're going to break down the protein. And they're going to make the meat more tender. But I don't re necessarily recommend aging at 65 degrees, like, like you said. I get sure. into refrigeration, and within 7 to 14 days of refrigeration, you're going to really optimize that tenderness of most of our wild game species. Um, uh, and when I say refrigeration, again, 40 degrees is, is the magic number that I will put out as a meat scientist. I know some guys maybe have home refrigeration systems do the best you can, you know, just keeping it as cold as you can without freezing it. And okay. Freezing so that's what I was going to ask. So 40 degrees is better than say 35. If, if yeah, you, let's yeah. say you have a refrigeration system at home um, yeah. and you can set it in your case, you would say 40 over like 35. Honestly, I would I would be somewhere in between there. It, okay. Oh boy. Okay. You, yeah, this is a great question. So if you have <laughs> if you have a really robust refrigeration system at home and you can really tune in the the temperature, thirty six to thirty eight is okay kind of the ideal range. The closer you get to forty, the closer you get to the danger zone of pathogenic uh, um, uh, uh, microbes. So our 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 uh, bacteria that can make you sick. Mm -hmm. We want to stay away from that stuff. And so under 40 degrees, and you're very safe in that particular, in, in that case. Um, if you're going below 35, you're slowing the enzymes. Now we're talking biochemistry, right? Uh -huh. So we're, you're actually slowing the enzymes down to a point where they're not doing as much as they could. And so you're not going to get the tenderness that you want, that, that you would have gotten if the meat was just a little bit warmer. And it's amazing how those subtle differences in just a few degrees Fahrenheit can make a big difference. Yeah. Yeah. Somewhere in the 36, 38. Oh man, that's the sweet spot right there. Okay. That's good to know. That's, that's good to know because I, I did notice last, last year, my, my daughters are now hunters uh, and they're better at it than I am. In fact, um, <laughs> awesome. there was a huge difference in temperature of hanging one of my girl's bucks versus hanging the other buck. Uh, and, and so, and, and we could tell, we could tell when we cook it, there is a, there is a difference. My older daughter's buck tastes a lot better. Um, okay. so, and I think that that's what it was is I, I allowed my younger daughter's buck, uh, to hang in some warmer temperatures mm -hmm. where, and, and maybe you can explain that, but you know how you, I've got it hung, I've got it in a meat bag. And, mm -hmm. and so when I take it out and, and I do, we do all our own butchering and everything. And I, I'm, I'm probably like guys like you would, would, uh, 
just absolutely roll their eyes in the way we do it. No, but, no, no, no. no. Um, <laughs> it's got that 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 outer layer uh-huh. that that even starts changing color, and then you you yeah. you start cutting that meat open, and it's a lot more red. It's a lot more tender on yeah. the inside, right? Yes. Um, is that what you're going for, or is is that too long? Is that too long okay. to age it? Um, so if you're aging it to where it's, you're saying it's almost like a second skin has, has yeah, produced yeah, on the outside. Exactly. Okay. That's just dehydration. Um, and, and that's just the outer layer of the muscle, um, that has been, ha, ha, that has dried down because refrigerated environments are usually a, a relatively dry environment, even though there may be water on the floor, it's still a relatively dry environment. So you are, you're pulling moisture off the surface of that meat. Um, and the longer you age, the more likely you're going to have to peel that, that stuff away. That's just, that's just the name of the game. We have that, we experience that in our leaner um, domestic livestock species too. So if we have a really lean bull that we harvested, um, doesn't have a lot of fat over the outside. This mm-hmm. is how he is. Um, we, and if we hang it for a while, we may have to actually pull some of that dried uh, material off the outside again. It's just part of the muscle, but it's a little dried on the outside. What's inside um, is muscle that has not been exposed to oxygen, um, and it's actually been protected by that that kind of hardening casing on the outside that that has naturally occurred. Um, if you want to get into like the color, um, so on the outside of the the that muscle that is kind of dried down, it mm-hmm. started out as a bright cherry red color, and then it's kind of turned into a dark purplish almost brownish green yeah different states of what we call myoglobin myoglobin is the red compound it, it's the it's the red pigment the muscle the muscle protein that makes meat red okay it's actually the oxygen binding compound in the meat um it it has iron in it and the reason that muscle turns red is be, it's a similar reaction to rust essentially and so that 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 meat on the outside, like I said, started out bright cherry red as you, when you put it into the meat bag, and then um, uh, uh, slowly turns to a kind of a darkish purplish brownish greenish color. We call that met myoglobin. But when you cut into that again, it'll bloom to that bright cherry red color again. It's all it's all the same muscle. Um, to answer your question in a short sense, um, that outer layer is just dehydration. If you've hung the carcass for for seven to fourteen days. Um, not a bad idea to just go ahead and peel that off of there for palatability purposes, for, for just gotcha. overall eating experience. Yeah. Okay. So that's going to lead. There is within the now, by the way, listeners, um, there's going to be a test on some of these terms he's using, but <laughs> the end of this, <laughs> but myoglobin is going to be that's on right. there. <laughs> um, no, uh, there's a lot of discussion uh, within the hunting community regarding uh, hang times. Um, and you know, you'll, you'll have some people that are like, you know, hang that thing overnight and then get it in the freezer, cut it up, get it in the freezer. There's other people that say, I always hang mine for 14 days. And there's a lot of various different circumstances too. Meaning, um, for example, my daughter's buck was shot on our property here in North Idaho. So my ability to get this meat cooled down and hung uh, quickly is a lot different than the mule deer that I hunted that where I was, you know, five or six hours from home um, and and further into the backcountry and and getting it out. Right. And so um, I know I I guess I'm throwing a lot at you here, but let's let's stick with just the simplicity of the question of what do you recommend hang time for wild game? And, and we're, we're talking specifically deer and elk. And yeah. 
before I do that, uh, Phil, is 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 that a fair comparison? Like deer and elk meat? Yeah. Is that do you think that that they're close enough in terms of what the type of meat is and yeah. all that? Yeah, I mean they're they're so similar. Um, the species are so similar, and um, uh, I, I would say it's a good comparison. There are so many variables. It's the reason why meat science is a discipline. I mean, we could we could say, okay, well, you harvested it on in in North Idaho, um, but maybe the mule deer could have been just right down the road. It's different species. Maybe it was eating mm-hmm. something different. You know, so many different variables there. Um, we can we can just really simplify this um, and and. I, I believe I've read this in the past, and I know there's some research out there on on tenderness and optimization of cervidae species, so deer type species. And, and mm-hmm. uh, my understanding is still it's that seven seven to fourteen days is going to be kind of your optimum range of aging. Now, if you if, if it's the animal that you that you shot on your property, um, got into the cooler real quick. Um, because of the temperature slowing down the activity enzymes, that's one that I would actually recommend. If you can hang it a little bit longer, 10, 14 days, you're okay. Um, for the animal that you harvested in the back country and it's taking you a long time to get in and maybe you're dealing with some warmer temperatures, warmer weather, you mm-hmm. really don't need to age it long because the enzymes have been very active. So it's going to be pretty tender. But the other thing that happens at those high temperatures is the micro, the, the microbial community that's on the surface of that meat. As clean as you are with a knife, there's always going to be microbes. That's, that's mm-hmm. just how it is. That's what we live in. And usually lactic acid producing bacteria, these are the ones that kind of give you a tart, uh, sour taste to things. Um, and so they're going to be very active as well at higher temperatures. And so um, in those cases, if you are, say, that backcountry situation, warm temperatures, and you're just not able to cool that thing down, as soon as you can get that thing into the freezer, that would be my recommendation is to do that. I wouldn't do okay. a whole lot of aging on that one. But the the ones the um you know the the porch hunters like I am um <laughs> if I can't if I can't hunt with my slippers on I don't know if I'm going to go too far out but, um uh, for the porch hunters like I am and I have access to a cooler and get that thing right away um I'm I'm not going to I'm not going to uh, even hesitate to age that a little bit longer because of the the quickness getting into the cooler minimizing any of that microbial growth on the outside and therefore minimizing spoilage Um, but then i also will need that extra time for the the tenderness to occur okay so to to the other side of that spectrum where um let's say we're talking to the porch hunters because there's a lot of i mean this is this is america a lot of us have (laughs) land and red you know you'll brushing your teeth in the morning a big buck walks out and onto the back lawn and there you go um (laughs) is there a on that end of the spectrum is there a downside to butchering and freezing too quickly say one morning um you get a buck down um and and you essentially don't even bother hanging it you get the hide off and and go right to butcher yeah Uh, obviously letting it cool Mm-hmm. Um, and then, and then getting it right to, right to butcher, whether you're taking it in or, or, uh, you know, you do it yourself. What, what do you say to that? So that's a great question too. And this man, this would honestly be a really good question, like as a final for my classes. And I may, I may incl- include it in fact. So, um, Hey, cool. Things, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'll give you credit. Two things can happen there. Okay. Um, for the extremely experienced and, and, and proficient and efficient butcher and, and hunter that, I mean, you got that thing, um, uh, uh, 
skinned and dressed within 30 minutes of 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 uh, shooting it and um you potentially could have that that meat into the freezer in theory by the end of the day yeah that actually will make that will make a very tough piece of meat and i'm not going to get into the biochemistry of that but you do want that carcass to go into rigor and you guys yep. familiar with rigor rigor more oh, yeah. the stiffness of stiffness of death that is important because if those muscle fibers are frozen or chilled too quickly prior to rigor you get what's called cold shortening and cold shortening is those muscles will actually super contract um and uh, if you think of muscle fibers and i know listeners out there driving you can't see my fingers but i'm crossing my fingers over um and uh, cold shortening is is like my hands are gripped together super tight and now you have to try to bite through that versus if my hands were just barely loosely connected there's still going to be a contraction of death mm-hmm. rigor mortis but it's not going to be as extreme as if you did put that meat into an extremely cold environment prior to rigor that's that that would that would be detrimental but that's an extreme case i would say sure the it, it, in the in the the contrast to that um would be um you know you you get it home the bucks already you know legs are sticking straight out things are good um uh you've gone into rigor um as long as it has gone into rigor i do recommend a little bit of aging but all circumstances you got to have have to understand you know if it was a really warm uh, conditions you hunted in and you didn't get it into refrigeration until a day or two after, or it was a gut shot. Um, we have potential for spoilage. And so, um, you may want to work that meat up a little quicker and it's not going to be quite as, quite as detrimental. So, okay. If you're anything like me, you're always looking for ways to improve your elk hunting skills for September. And one of my favorite ways is the Elk Collective. It's an absolute game changer in self-education. This virtual elk hunting course has over 150 videos that cover everything from elk calling, strategy, tips, setup, gear, much, much more. There's a bunch of people involved. Some of the best elk hunters in the woods are involved with the Elk Collective. And they've come together to put together this virtual course to help you notch more tags in September. So check it out at theelkcollective.com and use promo code, all one word, the Western Huntsman, for 20 bucks off the entire course. That makes the course only $69. It's a great deal. And I promise if you go through this course, you will go into the Elk Woods with a lot more confidence and a much better chance at notching a tag on the mighty Wap. Hoffman Boots is the boot choice of the Western Huntsman podcast, and it has been for a very long time. I love my Hoffman in the Explorers, in the 6-inch or the 8-inch. Uh, they have all sorts of options for you to check out. Hoffman Boots is my go-to boot because I am a firm believer that when it comes to gear, the one piece of gear you don't want to skip on is boots get really good boots and if you choose to do some hoffman boots you're going to find out why i highly recommend these hunting boots made by a multi-generational family of shoemakers these boots are made right here in north idaho and i've got an excellent deal for you if you choose to go with hoffman boots use promo code all caps lock huntsman 10 for 10 percent off get you some of these boots and find out why i love them uh, they're totally waterproof. They're going to give you great traction on the mountain. They're super comfortable. There's very little break-in period. Can't recommend hopping boots enough. Check it out, guys. 
Next on the list is Scree Gear. High octane hunting attire without breaking the bank. You want to go into the field with good camo, right? You want you want camo that works, that'll keep you dry, that'll keep you comfortable. You want layering systems, the merino wool, the rain gear, all the things that make hunting a little bit easier and allows you to stay in the field a lot longer. The problem with most of it is it's super expensive, not with Scree Gear. Scree Gear will give you all the high-end technical gear that you want without having to take out a second mortgage, and that's why I like it. And to make it even better, got a promo code, the Western Huntsman, all one word, and that will give you 15% off and free shipping. It's a heck of a deal, guys. I recommend checking out like their bundle packages. They have like the elk bundle or the whitetail bundle or the turkey bundle. All those bundles come with multiple pieces of gear, and you won't regret getting this gear. It's great stuff. Check out Scree at ScreeGear.com. Oh, and you want to call in an elk? Use Phelps Game Calls. I've been using Phelps Game Calls since uh, just about the beginning of Phelps Game Calls. It's a great company story, too. This company started in a little garage and is now one of the premier call companies on uh, within the industry. I mean, you can't you can't go wrong with Phelps Game Calls, whether it's turkey calls, predator calls, waterfowl, or especially I think the bread and butter is the elk calls. And I, I use the Maverick. I use the Pink. I use the Gray Amp. Uh, check out the AMP series. If you're new to calling, I recommend getting a couple of different ones and trying them out. Find out which one works best for you. But uh, I promise you I'm not steering you wrong when it comes to Phelps Game Calls. It's a great company full of great people that make excellent products that actually work. And the proof is in the pudding. Call in a lot of elk, and you will too if you trust me, by going to phelpsgamecalls.com. I got a, Obviously, I got a promo code for you, right? Huntsman 10. Huntsman 10 for 10% off your Phelps Game Calls and check them out. Phelps Game Calls. Get them close. Two last items. Check out the Reveal Cell Cams from Tacticam. Whether it is for hunting or security, these are excellent cell cams that I have all over my property. To include, I, uh, I put them on some job sites for some security so people I know if, uh, if they're still in materials or whatever, I'm going to catch them. Uh, and another little promo code I like to throw out there is for Batum907 for anybody that is hunting bears spring or fall and you are allowed to bait. Don't forget to go to Batum907.com. Since made in Alaska, use promo code Huntsman10 for 10% off. The stuff works, and it works well. Let's get back to the show. Here we go. No, this this is uh, this is great stuff actually, and, and because you know you know why it's great is because you know, you've heard, everybody that's hunt, hunted they've heard you know the opinions on how long to hang it, how long to do this, how long to do that, um, and and I think it's a pretty well known thing to uh, most hunters to wait for rigor to set mm-hmm. in. But the difference is is it's not me saying it; it's actually a meat scientist, and I, I want to share with you. Uh, something that, uh, we, we were talking about Mike Edgehouse. Um, he's down in Lewiston, just South of you there. He says, uh, when I, when I asked him about you, he said he has eaten wet aged beef. That's 365 days old. Mm-hmm. Yep. What, what was that about? It was, it was great. You know, that honestly, so this is, um, for, for those who do enjoy domesticated livestock and, and do enjoy, um, traditional meat from a grocery store or, 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 or from a packer, um, that was, that was a testament to just how clean the conditions are at the packing houses. Um, what that means is that, so, so we opened the package and first off, we're just, we're using our, our, our senses to kind of gauge, do I, do I want to eat this? <laughs> yeah. 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 But, but it had been, it'd been in refrigeration the entire time under 40 degrees, well into the thirties. Um, and, um, 
it did have a bit of a sourness smell to it, but it wasn't overpowering by any means. The meat was extremely tender, but not a, nothing that was off-putting about it. And and you okay. think, you know, it's there's a whole year of aging on this product. Um, and, uh, and I don't recommend it, um, but it also, again, it's a testament to just how clean the food system is in, in the United States, especially in the meat side of things, because the meat going into that bag was so clean that you didn't have spoilage organisms. You didn't have, I mean, you did, but they were so minuscule that, that it didn't result in an off-putting taste or, or, um, uh, sensory experience. But it was super tender. Wow. Wow. <laughs> I'll bet. Yeah, man. <laughs> That's fantastic. So, yep. Um, I, I have one more question on the rigor thing. Yeah. Is, is there, would you say, is there like a rule of thumb for there? We have a lot of new hunters on the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, you know, sometimes I, I, I feel like, you know, if, the, if it's our first animal, mm-hmm. maybe not being able to recognize rigor. Okay. Um, and, and like in, in a state as to which where you as a meat scientist at that point would feel good about butchering that animal. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, is there is there like a rule of thumb of time after death for that to set in? Or what do you what do you say to something along those lines? Yeah, most of our deer species, I w- they would probably follow along similar lines of goats and sheep um, mm-hmm. and even beef and beef will will settle in. So so in the biggest animal that you could possibly you know maybe shoot as far as game moose or something like that they're going to be similar to our large beef animals um rigor will set in within about 12 hours Um, okay so so you should be in pretty good shape that way and you know i mean the reality is by the time you hunt uh, shoot an animal and especially if you're less experienced you're probably not going to have that thing in the freezer within 12 hours sure Maybe, maybe i could be wrong but um if you did want to just double check um you know a, a great uh, uh um uh, a fail safe would just let it hang overnight it has it, rigor will set for sure by that okay. time um the other thing too is rigor just feel the legs if you can't bend like say that that four shank or you can't bend the knee um the uh, uh uh the knee joint or anything those muscles have set up they are now in their their full contracted death state. And so, um, rigor is set in, in that point. Perfect. Perfect. I love it, man. Um, I, I like taking, I, I, I love this real complicated information. Sometimes it could just be simplified and, and, and it's, it's like an art form when people do that. <laughs> it's, I, it's the only way I can understand things. So, <laughs> yeah. I, and see, I'm, I'm the, I, I'm, I'm a few levels down from that where I, I can't understand it. And when I try to explain it, I just complicate it more. <laughs> and so <laughs> that's just how I, that's just how I roll. So, yeah. <laughs> um, practicability, I guess, wise, um, Let's can we discuss uh, our backcountry hunters and yeah. and getting into because what here it is what is it the fifteenth today August fifteenth so uh, specific to Idaho and most western states uh, September archery elk season is uh, knocking on our door yep it's coming. which is uh, uh, what what I look forward to all year and this is my favorite season um, well spring bears kind of creeping up on that but uh elk elk is still my number one favorite thing to do and and you're usually quite a ways from the truck yeah. uh when you find an elk or get your elk down uh you're you're usually it's usually you know obviously it's september so our temperatures are we're not we're not talking about november hunting here yeah. um it's warmer uh, a lot of people that listen to this are hunting in pinion pine country or sage country where it's a drier heat and less mm-hmm. shade uh, less water yeah um 
I, I want people to be able to come out of this episode and be able to maybe identify with, you know, beyond a shadow of a doubt when that meat has spoiled and, and does that make sense be able to look at that meat, be able to look at those muscles yeah. and, and make a call. Okay. This is not safe anymore. Yeah. Can you, can you kind of walk us through that? Well, I, I'll give you the, the very, very quick and short answer. The good Lord gave us uh, our noses. And if you if you can't get get it past your nose, that meat has spoiled. OK, so that's the that's the first step. Um, if you're starting to see kind of a, a, a slippery, slimy um, substance starting to grow in and around uh, any exposed muscle, there's a good chance that meat's starting to spoil. Um, you're probably starting to get yeast colonies. You're probably starting to get a little bit of slime molds. Um, you're probably getting uh, what we call biofilms of, of spoilage organisms all over that. Um, and so it's a multitude of things. Um, we do have definitions for what spoilage is as far as bacterial contamination in the meat sciences. I'm not going to get into that because this is a very different sure. situation. We need, we need, uh, what do you have at hand? And really, you know, follow your nose, follow your eyes, follow your gut instinct on this thing. Um, the other thing, too, is especially for our backcountry folks, and, and I could be wrong, and I probably need to go consult some other um, uh, of my colleagues who are, who are um, uh, more ag aggressive hunters than I, who, again, I'm a porch hunter. And so, um, <laughs> but uh, for those in the backcountry, really just focus on field dress. Because we want to still the 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 meat under that that muscle or excuse me under that hide, um, it's essentially sterile. Okay, as as long as you are able to you know minimize the the damage from the actual shot, the wound, um, mm -hmm. uh, uh, and contain that, um, leave that hide on until you do get into that into that refrigerated environment, so that you can now once you expose that now you now you have. Um, uh, a, a colder temperature to minimize any of that contamination of the muscle itself. If it's a gut shot, be prepared to do some extensive trimming. Don't take the risk because, oh, I can get another half pound of hamburger here. No, 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 no. Just don't bother with that. Okay. There, there will be another, um, but um, there's not another you. And so yeah. you don't want to get, you don't want to get yourself into a spot where you're, you're, you're very, very ill. Um, be prepared to do some extensive trimming. But, uh, you know, again, back to your original question, though, is spoilage um, is usually a, an indication of very high microbial load. Um, microbes will um, will express themselves via odors as byproducts. Um, uh, you'll know it. Um, you'll see that you'll see the sliminess of it. Um, you can trim some of that away if it's minimal, but if it starts to get you know, uh, throughout the entire carcass, don't take any risks. Don't take any chances, you know, um, just, just be smart about it. So, so I, that, I don't and know that, if that answers your question. No, it, it, it absolutely does. And I think, I think you nailed it with, uh, just explaining like the nose is going to tell the most, you know, the full yeah. story. Um, however, I, I have some buddies that have had, uh, COVID and they still don't have a sense of smell. Oh, so they're in trouble. Thanks. Okay. <laughs> no. Yeah. So, and so I think that's what I was thinking about. Um, not not and, to laugh at that. I mean, it's serious, but yeah. I know, no, I know it's, it's crazy. <laughs> they got one buddy who says it's slowly coming back and another yeah. buddy that he said, Nope, can't smell anything. And it was like well, almost a year ago. And, so, and that's crazy. where, um, have, have, make friends with someone who does have their sense. Of yeah. <laughs> take somebody that has a sense of trust. smell. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, uh, 
I let's let's kind of paint a picture. Just uh, I guess meet care, right? Mm-hmm. Um, what does getting dirt do to the meat yeah. uh, on on the meat do to the meat? Did I ask that right? That sounded sure. weird, didn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> dirt contaminant hairs, uh, all mm-hmm. that stuff are going to speed the spoilage process. Um, dirt. <laughs> Dirt is, uh, it, it's, it's interesting how nature has designed us to recognize that on, on food and say, ah, I don't want to eat that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and what I would say is with any contaminant that's on there that you don't either know exactly what it is or would rather not see it on there, cut it away. Okay. And the reason I say that is because you mentioned water and some folks, yeah, they, you know, you get a little contaminants on there when you're dressing the, the car, the carcass, you're pulling the, the hide off and everything. And, uh, oh, we'll get this. We'll just hit it with the hose. Mm-hmm. Well, um, what Guilty. you're doing. Yeah. <laughs> and, and the hose is a great, especially a cold garden hose is great for cooling that carcass down very quickly. That water will, will transfer heat very well. Mm. Do that after you've trimmed away every visual contaminant you could see. And the reason I say that is because if there is some dirt or manure or gut contaminant on there and you spray it with a hose, you've essentially now just inoculated the rest of that carcass. You've spread it. Even though you can't see it, that's why we call them microorganisms because we can't see them, but they're there. And so anytime you do have some, some contaminant on there, what we do in the meat sciences and the reason that we can have product um, at times reach 365 days at refrigerated temperature is because we do trim away. We don't just wash away. So, okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh which leads to another, I'm just, I'm, I'm like, I feel like I'm just doing like this lightning round of questions at you. But, oh, I love uh, it. I love this it. Is this, this is great stuff. This is great stuff. <laughs> All right. I, a scenario, you, you've shot a deer, deer's on the ground. You're going to gut it. You hit that bladder bag and urine sprays okay. out everywhere. Yeah. What, what, uh, what do we do with that meat? Is it cut away? Is it throw away? Is it salvageable, washable? I wouldn't bother trying to salvage it. So as far as, as far as food safety is concerned, if you can get it past your nose and your mouth, you can, you, you'll eat it and you, you'll be fine. Mm-hmm. Um, so your, your buddies that have COVID and, 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 and no sense of smell, maybe they'll be just fine with something like that. So from a, from a sense of food safety, it's not that big of a deal. It is a food quality issue. And the reason I, I bring this up is, and, and the scenario that I would, I would give you is, um, is uh, uh, um, domesticated boars. Um, so we, we have boars in the pig industry and the reality is is those things can get a taint kind of like that the bladder on a on a deer Mm -hmm. um that it's not as a food safety issue but a a usd inspector can condemn the the carcass um because it's just so rank and it's really it's not worthy of going into the food chain um and so um in your case in in the case of the deer and the bladder bag cut it away Cut it down and you, again, use your nose or use your buddy's nose um, to see, did I get this thing out? Did I, did I clean it enough? Um, be liberal with cutting it. Don't be afraid of doing that. Um, and uh, it, it's for your sake. And it's for the sake of the, the deer too. You took the deer's life. It, it's your responsibility to do the right thing. Eat as much of it as you can. Use as much as you can. But say you, you, you only barely trim a little bit away trying to save as much as you can. Mm-hmm. And now you start cooking. And so now you've got this, you know, a big leg steak or something there. And you're like, what is that awful stench? Well, it's because you left some contaminant on there. And now you, without, you know, you could have cut away maybe an 
an eighth of a pound. Now you're mm-hmm. throwing away a whole pound of meat. And so if you, if you think about it, it's actually, it's, it's a way to save more meat um, by just being liberal with the knife and, and cutting away anything that may have been contaminated by it. I would say that, okay. you, know, you should be able to salvage something. Yeah. That would be my guess. Yeah. Do you have an opinion on game bags, uh, types of bags to, to store that meat? Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know if you have a ton of experience with different type. like, you know, I, I kind of geek out with game bags yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. and I wasn't happy so, with so my last one. So, yeah, yeah. So let's, yeah, let's, let's flip the interview around and I'll ask you, no, I'm, um, <laughs> I, I don't, uh, you know, honestly, I don't have very much experience with that. If we had our meat lab manager on here, um, uh, James Nasados, um, here at, at the university of Idaho, he, he runs our Vandal brand meats. He's very, uh, well-versed in the, uh, um, uh, animal fabrication or, uh, uh, game fabrication and, and hunting and, and such. And so, uh, okay. we can question him and he'd probably be a great guest for you in the future. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Yeah. I'd, I'd love to do it. So, <laughs> yeah. um, I, I just kind of let, let's, uh, logistically, Mm-hmm. Uh, again, going back to um, uh, some of us elk hunters that are going to be, you know, four or five miles from the truck or in the back country or whatever, it's going to take us multiple trips, right? Yep. Possibly two days to get get these animals out. Mm-hmm. Luckily, in North Idaho, these this, these big, beautiful, coniferous, you know, dark timber forests that we have, mm-hmm. yeah. you, we can usually find some water and mm-hmm. shade to hang the median. Perfect. Um the the folks that are down in like the pinion pine country or the, some of the drier climates uh and and that don't have you know a drainage with a little creek in the bottom of it everywhere every time you turn around mm-hmm. yeah. um <laughs> yeah the i actually i mean it's not like i don't know the answer to that but i i'm just i i keep going back to uh, a circumstance that i've been in where i felt the meat got too hot and and yeah. It, it it's not that I could smell anything or visually see any spoilage or anything. Uh, but when, when the meat cools off and then it gets, then the temperature rises again, does that uh-huh. damage flavor? Does that damage? Does it make sense how I'm asking that? Yeah. 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 So if you have those big swings in temperature fluctuation, um, yeah. especially, especially, you know, fall in, in North Idaho, you could have a 85 degree day and a 45 degree night. Oh, um, absolutely. It's um, honestly, it's those, it's, uh, it's, it's a bit of a blessing. The, um, the, uh, those cold evenings are going to really help chill that carcass down um, and not to an extreme case, like, like we talked about earlier. Um, the warmer temperatures, if you do have an ability to, um, use some type of game bag, that's not going to saturate that carcass, um, and, uh, uh, and, and put it in a stream. It's probably a really good idea if, if you can do that during the daytime when the temperatures are really warm. So um, in, in the game cold. bag, maybe put it in like a contractor plastic yeah, garbage yeah, sack and yeah. then in a, okay. Okay. Yeah. I, I've idea. done that. Yeah. I've, I've done yeah. it. And uh, but I've also made the mistake of uh, taking that that same contractor bag and putting a quarter in in just a, you know, my regular fridge at home. Oh, um, and without <laughs> any allowing it to air out, man, that meat right. it, you were talking about that slimy, yeah, uh, kind of finish very on the quick. surface. Yeah, very quick. Super. Yeah. I lost a lot of meat on that. Bad so, mistake. So let's talk about about that just a little bit because okay, um, if you're in the back country and you're just you, it's going to take you a couple days to get that elk out, um you you are kind of more in survival mode versus porch hunting and a fridge um mm-hmm. you're in you're in comfort mode um 
survival mode use use the bag put it in put it into the uh, into the into the creek cool that thing down even if the creek is 50 something 60 something um, degrees it's still cooler than the ambient air say in early fall where you're you're in the 70s and 80s and so the cooler it is the better it's going to be in that regard for spoilage prevention of spoilage if it's a porch hunter like myself and you got uh you got the the, the animal you can get into the cooler but don't put any 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 surface that's going to really just tack right to the meat and and essentially create an anaerobic environment because what's happening now is you you are allowing for certain spoilage organisms that like anaerobic environments such as the lactic acid bacteria to um to thrive and now you're going to have some of that that kind of sticky tackiness on the outside it's mm-hmm. going to be very sour um you can smell the sourness usually when you open the bag um and so in those cases i would probably recommend you know if you have some tubs or something that you, that has a lid put the pieces in and around that okay or 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 in in and on that um you can you can you can put some kind of covering over it um if you have some old bed sheets or bed sheets from people that you don't like put those on there and uh, <laughs> you know let <laughs> that that's going to kind of um slow the migration of the um the uh, uh evaporation of the meat so you don't necessarily have to skin it yet again um but it's going to keep you from getting that kind of sliminess on there so the yeah, I th- I think so. I think I I uh, you cut out just a second or for a minute there. Um, you're talking about putting the meat inside like a like those plastic tubs you get from Home Depot or something yeah. kind of yeah. thing. Yep. With the lids yep. on it. Yep. Um, yep. Does it need any kind of ventilation? No. So it's not going to be a very super sealed environment, and so that's okay. that's the idea is that it's still gonna it's still gonna be um, more aerobic. Um, uh, you so so. Um, Spoilage organisms are there. They're going to be doing their thing, sure. but it's not going to be quite as as isolated as our anaerobic um, lactic acid producing bacteria that are going to indicate spoilage relatively quickly in if you give them the right conditions. And that's if, yeah, you wrap it in a contractor's bag and, and put it in your fridge for a few days. The contractor's bag is probably really good for that 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 survival situation where I yeah in the back country yeah back country um, and we're gonna keep it cold as best as we can, but get it out of that bag just just to let some of that evaporation occur because it's going to it's gonna enhance the overall product eventually. So awesome. Yeah. Okay, I know I know we're knocking on an hour's door here. Uh, oh, <laughs> so uh, that's what happens when you're having fun, man. Exactly. Right. <laughs> um. The going to the next step. So, uh, well, I'll just give you a scenario going through my, my freezer, which is specific for my wild game meat, right? Mm-hmm. Digging through it, kind of seeing what's in there, taking a uh, inventory, whatever, come across a package that says, uh, dear loins, 2019, oh, here it yeah. is. 2022. Sure. Garbage. Good. What do you, what do you think? I mean, it's, it's all freezer sealed, but it's all, yeah, it's all freezer. Uh, yeah. And so, Okay, a couple things. Um, a lot of guys, folks, not just guys, folks like to use um, uh, freezer paper because it's cheap. Um, and you don't have to have the added equipment of a vacuum packager and such. Um, yeah. I would say you have about a year in the freezer, as long as you can really get really good at and proficient at, 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 uh, at, at wrapping that stuff nice and tight. You have about a year before you're going to run into um, flavor cha- changes. 
perfectly safe still. If if as long as your freeze hasn't hasn't broken down, um, you'll be fine. Um, it's just you're going to start getting what's what's called oxidation, so a little bit of a rancidity of the meat. Okay? okay. So after about a year, I would recommend let's rotate through that product. If for some reason, yeah, you got the deep freeze at home, you keep it nice and stocked, and all of a sudden you did you finally decided to dig to the bottom, see what's there, and you get that three year old steak that's sitting there. Um, if it was paper wrapped, again, you're going to be fine. Food safety wise, safety wise, flavor wise, it may it may not be all that great. You're probably mm. going to have some freezer burn on there because you couldn't. You're not going to avoid that with paper so, wrap. So make some make uh, some dog treats out of that one. Yeah, and make great dog treats, or you know, feed, feed it to friends you don't like, or something like that. You know, <laughs> um, but uh, my mother-in-law my recommendation, and yeah, <laughs> I love my mother-in-law. She's out there listening. Um, so um, no, uh, my recommendation would be. Um, uh, Make the if you're gonna if you're gonna be a hunter, a regular hunter, make the investment in in, in a vacuum sealer. Um, it is by far the most effective way of of um, maintaining meat quality, especially under frozen conditions. And so um, that that three year old steak, if it's still in a sealed vacuum pouch, um, and it's been frozen the whole time. Um, you may notice a subtle change in the flavor, but it will not be, it will not be drastic. It won't be like the paper wrapped product. Um, and in both cases, yeah. it's, it should be safety. That's uh interesting. I, I, I just want to kind of like second what you just said there, yeah. uh, guys, if, if you're listening, the good doctor just mentioned, just make <laughs> the advance investment in a freezer sealer. They're, they're actually yeah. super inexpensive. Yeah. Um, I, I just like, Unless you're somebody who's just going to hopefully get a, a deer or, or something every few years or whatever, uh, man, you, you need to get one uh, yeah. because what you were just saying there, you know, the difference between one year and three years or, or and, and some of the flavor changes or whatever. I noticed when I started using a freezer sealer, um, when I say I use them, I don't even know how to turn it on. I, I cut the meat and then my wife freezer seals it. So she, she knows what she's doing. Sure. But I notice even after like three months, when you compare that to like a paper wrapped uh, package of meat I, for, for, for us, and maybe it was just a coincidental thing, but we're like, man, this tastes better. It like maintains the flavor or so, yeah. it traps it in or I don't know what it does. Yeah. But uh, it, this was three years ago. We've never gone back uh, to, to the paper wrap. So, yeah, I, I couldn't. I couldn't agree with that more. Yeah, um, we um, we we pretty much exclusively, except for some really weird cuts like ribs. Ribs are kind of hard to to vacuum seal, um, especially yeah. because the bones will poke through and everything. I'll still paper up those. Just eat them quicker, you know. Just know where they are and eat them eat them sooner. Um, but yeah, we we pretty much almost exclusively use vacuum pouches. Um, we we cut our own beef at home as well, and so we'll do the same thing. But for deer, um, uh, any type of game. I, that's my recommendation. And and for those who, who may think, you know, well, they're, they're really expensive. Um, you got to go beyond the retail store. Um, and there's some really great websites out there um, that cater to restaurants um, that uh, that can get you the vacuum pouches at a significantly lower cost. As long as you purchase the ones that are for external sealers, that's the home, the home type um, vacuum sealer. Um, you can get those at, at, a fraction of the cost that that you would buy at a, at a retail outlet man that is a hot tip yeah. so okay yeah, yeah that that was worth having <laughs> you on just for that i I'm, I'm pretty excited to check that out that's awesome because yeah. yeah. they do they do charge an arm and a leg at the retail shops yeah. uh for for those so 
It's kind of no, like printer great. ink. You know, they'll they'll give yeah, you yeah. the printer, but they'll <laughs> the, the ink <laughs> right three times the cost. So, yeah. yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, let's uh, let's wrap this up, up Phil. With um, do you have as a meat scientist, if what is your favorite cut off of a off of a deer, and how do you prepare it? Um. So uh off of oh man it it, it depends it kind of depends um it's kind of like picking your favorite child right um <laughs> <laughs> so um you know the the backstrap's fantastic and everybody's kind of it's a go-to it's a great go-to sure um you know it's the longismus muscle for those who really want to nerd out on the scientific um side of things um it's the same thing as the ribeye and the strip loin and a beef animal um and for a a direct heat grilling situation that's fantastic I have a friend, however, that um, makes some unbelievable um, uh, uh, deer shoulder chimichangas, and um, I wouldn't go. I wouldn't. I wouldn't use a backstrap for something like that. It just depends on the application. And then, if you're looking at at some whole muscle jerky, the that hind leg is is going to be perfect for it because you can seam those pieces out. And guys, don't make the mistake of trying to get a little bit more jerky by just leaving that silver skin on. Take that outer connective tissue off. If it looks silvery, take it off because it's going to be so chewy. You're going to you're going to be flossing with it. And so, um, I didn't answer your question, and I refuse to. It's kind of like yeah, that's so what's okay. your Favorite beer? Um, yeah, know? yeah. It depends. If I'm it on depends. a if I if, if you're on a tropical beach in yeah. Mexico, it's going to be a Corona or yeah, something. It's but be a Corona. Yeah. North Idaho, man, I it's probably a Coors Light. You know, yeah. I, <laughs> no, I hear you on that. Uh, that's interesting what you said about the silver skin, um, because I, I, when I'm, when I'm butchering myself, I, I take it off when I'm making jerky, yep. but if, if I'm doing steaks or burger, mm-hmm. uh, I generally leave it on. And, yeah. And you'll be, fine uh, is that okay? Yes, okay. absolutely. Cause you're going to take it to a temperature that's going to take that, that's going to break that silver skin down. That's connective yeah. tissue, yeah. collagen. Um, think of a brisket, you know, brisket actually, uh, if anybody's out there has smoked a whole brisket before, um, that actually has a lot of silver skin type, um, connective tissue interwoven throughout the muscle. So if you, um, if you just, um, just tried eating a rare brisket steak, which nobody would do, yeah. um, it's going to be super chewy. But if you cook it for a longer period of time, you're going to break that stuff down. And then on top of that, for the burger, um, I know this is going to sound a little gross, but the, the, the grinder is effectively pre-chewing it for you. Okay. So you're yeah. taking the tougher meat, you're breaking it down into smaller, smaller particle sizes. So it's, it's always tender that way. And so you shouldn't have have the big problems. Now I'm not I'm not saying drop a whole Achilles tendon in there too and hope for the best, <laughs> but you know minimize that kind of stuff. But what I usually do is is um and and it's mostly on the beef carcasses, but I will over trim that that silver and connective tissue. Get down to the muscles that you want for making jerky or whatever whole muscle item you want. Take that stuff that does have that silver skin and connective tissue, run it through the grinder, mix in some, some beef fat or pork fat or whatever you may, whatever your preference is to Mm -hmm. um, uh, uh, increase the fat content. Um, And it'll be fantastic. And you'll, you're going to improve your yields that way. Um, But uh, yeah, get that silver skin away if you're making jerky, because it's, it's just, it's not palatable. It's not fun into that thing. So. That's the kind of that, that's like when you're at the gas station, you buy the cheapest beef jerky on the shelf yeah. and it takes you two hours to, to, to chew one bite. 
yeah. and your jaw hurts. I, I, I think that's what they're doing, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so, well, Phil, this was a, this was a really great conversation. I'd love to have you on again at some point uh, when I, when we could maybe talk about some more, um, you know, a little more deeper yeah. uh, on, on, Anytime. on the meat, meat topic, because uh, I think it's always interesting, man, when, uh, you know, we'll do, we'll do episodes about, you know, how to archery hunt for elk or, mm-hmm. uh, some of the, some of the politics involved in hunting or, yeah. you know, all these different things, but the meat topics and meat care and meat processing. And, um, I've got, I've got, a, some, some good buddies that are butchers. Uh, and, and then there's a lot of us that butcher our own. And, and it's just this, it's always a very, um, a, a lot of interest every yeah. time we talk about this topic. Yeah. So, uh, it's good to get an actual expert on that, uh, you know, has, has that kind of background and, um, really good, really good to have you on. So I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, likewise. Thank yeah. You. <laughs> yeah. So, so I, I, uh, I, again, I want to encourage folks to check out your podcast, uh, meets pad meets yep. pad. Meets um, pad. and yep. guys, what I'll do is I'll, I'll put that in the show notes and, um, you guys, uh, yeah, check it out. It's awesome. This is yeah. this is great stuff you're doing. I appreciate what you're doing. Uh, I feel like I feel like that's uh, it's like such a great topic to to have in the the youth out there to learn yeah. the benefits of of things like beef and meat and all these things and, and how it ties together with just a basic humanity in general. Yep. You know, it's it's uh, we can get real philosophical with it if we want. And so, yeah. appreciate what you do and thanks Absolutely. for coming on. Absolutely, I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you. Thank you. You made it all the way to the end. Thank you so much for tuning into the show. We sure appreciate your support. This is Jim Huntsman signing off and reminding you to check us out at Instagram at The Western Huntsman and on Facebook at The Western Huntsman. And you can also check out the website at thewesternhuntsman.com. Thanks again. We'll see you guys next time. Stay Western, and I'll see you on the mountain.